You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Hi, my name is Laura, and I'm on staff here, and I'll be reading our scripture for today. This is Acts 2, 41 through 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any has had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lord. Good morning. Uh, To our Village Church family and to all of those who are joining us today via the live stream, we welcome you. My name is Michael Morris. I am one of the lay elders here at the Village Church, have been... My wife and Deb here for just over nine years now. You know, the past two weeks were some pretty rough weeks uh, for me from the perspective that I teach students. And one of the things that I like to do in my classes uh, started uh, March of 2020 was just an emotional check to see how students are doing. And um, There are a couple of events, uh, well, more than a couple, several events over the last two weeks that have brought an emotional strain on many of the students that I teach. And, you know, I've tried to be there to encourage them. Uh, Two weeks ago, we had tornadoes that ripped through Mississippi. Uh, Just this week, we've had a couple of tornadoes hit uh, where Arkansas, Illinois, Indiana. Uh, Two weeks ago, we had a or two school shootings here in the Metroplex, and then there was one in um, Colorado, and of course, we all know what happened this week, or last week in Nashville. So those have been some pretty tough things as I have sort of navigated the brokenness of this world and tried to encourage students, And, and I'll speak of that a little more, just where many of our students are when it comes to Uh, some of our feelings in the world. But I want to pray this morning. I want to start out with a prayer. So would you bow your heads with me? Father, you are good. Your steadfast love endures forever. Your faithfulness to generations yet unborn of those who will put their trust and faith in you. Father, our hearts have been broken again this week as we witness the brokenness of humanity uh, that would senselessly slaughter innocent children and their caretakers Our hearts are broken knowing the pain of those mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, husbands, that wife, other family members and friends whose pain at present seems unbearable and unending. Our hearts are broken that our leaders don't have real solutions, but they only do what they know to do. 
And that sometimes is disappointing. We pray for them as well. Father, we know that these are just a few of the many, many manifestations of what happens when a humanity chooses to believe the lie rather than your truth. You tell us in your word that it is the thief that comes to rob, to kill, to destroy, but you have sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might know life and know it in its fullness. Father, would you comfort the hurting hearts of all our brothers and sisters everywhere this morning? Pray especially for comfort for those in Nashville. Father, as we turn our attention to your eternal truth, would you give us eyes to see Jesus in all of his beauty and majesty? Would you give us ears to hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church? And Lord, would you give us hearts that are wholly, totally yours? We ask these things in Jesus' name and for your glory and honor we pray. Amen. I want to just right up front kind of give you the essence of what I want to share this morning. And it's in these words that you see on the screen. God's solution for a broken, lost, and hurting world is a church that is awake and alive to each other living in true biblical community. Uh, we started a series uh, several weeks ago on Awake and Alive, and the first sermon we talked about being wide awake. After that, it was awake to the gospel, awake to courage, awake to truth, beauty and goodness, reality, presence and power, generosity, and last week to the miraculous. We're going to close it out, and I want to look at awake to each other, or what I might refer to uh, throughout the talk this morning is biblical community. First of all, biblical community often means different things to different people. Over the past 2,000 years or so, biblical community has been defined and redefined according to the understanding or perhaps misunderstanding of many. Some have defined it based upon their uh, preferred ecclesiastical ecclesiastical structure, uh, their eschatological perspectives, their observance or non-observance of ordinances or sacraments, denominational distinctives, uh, ethnic distinctions as well. And even as we look back in scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul challenges the Corinthians because they were divine, defining community based on their preference of spiritual teachers. Paul said some were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, Peter. And others, the really spiritual ones, hey, I just follow Christ and that's who I listen to. Uh, but Paul said, hey, you know, that's, that's not the way. You know, we kind of laugh at them a little bit, but, you know, we've got our favorite teachers. We don't say, I'm a Piper, or I'm of Keller, or I'm of Chandler, but, hey, we have our favorite teachers, right? But when they become a dividing point in determining what community is, we have gotten out of order. These are only a few of the criteria that men use to determine whether you are in or out when it comes to community. Oh, we'd never say these things out loud, but the reality is that we often cut ourselves off or disassociate from Jesus followers 
who don't see the scripture exactly the way we see it. Now, I'm not talking about just rank heresy and things that are not in line with the fundamental truths of the scripture, but just some of those things. By the way, Martin Luther, probably some of our churches today, because of what he believed toward baptism, would be put to the side, okay? I like the statement by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. Every human wish and dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream or idea or distinction that he has determined to be community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. At the core of biblical community is this. It is the assembly of those who have heard the gospel message, repented of their sins, believed and trust in Jesus Christ, and now are doing life together with fellow followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, seeking to walk in love and pursuit of personal and corporate sanctification, demonstrating the culture to the culture as well as to principalities and powers, the manifold wisdom of God and the reality that Jesus Christ has been sent into this world by the Father. While this is what we aspire to see in biblical community, Many times our experiences are not congruent with what we see. Some of us can identify with this poem, and perhaps uh, some of you have heard it before. It's just a little short poem. It says, to live above with the saints we love, now that will be glory. But living below with the saints we know, that's a different story. Yeah, this brief and poignant poem reminds us of the blessedness of the glories that await us for all eternity. But it also reminds us of the misunderstandings, the disappointments, the hurts, the wounds, the challenges, the difficulties that we have experienced in this life, not just from our enemies and foes, but sometimes by those that sit right next to us in the house of the Lord. In the passage under consideration this morning, Luke provides insights into what happened at the first church after its dramatic birth and growth at Pentecost when over 3,000 new believers were brought into the kingdom of God, were added to the church in one day. In verse 42 that was read earlier, it is a summary statement which is unpacked in the following Verses, verses 43 through 47. Verse 42 tells us that the believers were devoted to four things. The apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Each of these four things turns up one way or another in verses 43 through 47. We'll see what Luke, how Luke unpacked them in just a moment. But before we do, I want to focus on uh, three words in that initial verse, verse 42. They devoted themselves. 
Now they, in this context, refers to the 120 who Jesus, uh, before his ascension, told to wait and tarry in Jerusalem until they received the power from on high, the power of the Holy Spirit, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. They also included that 3,000 who heard Peter preach on the day of Pentecost and were convicted and cried out, what must we do? And Peter directed them to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So we had those who had walked with him for approximately three years, and then we had 3,000 brand new baby Christians. I want you to get that. 3,000 brand new baby Christians. Uh, they were, there were women, there were men, there were the young, there were the old, there were Jews, and there were Gentile proselytes to Judaism. There were natives of Jerusalem, and there were those who had traveled there for the Feast of Pentecost and uh, from various surrounding areas. 3,000 people in one day coming to the Lord. You know, Peter and the disciples had already been directed by the Lord how to deal with large crowds. So I don't think they were startled by the fact that 3,000 people needed some directions. But the 3,000 people, these are brand new baby Christians, and I've got I've to think that there are some things that were going on in their mind. So let's use for just a moment our sanctified imaginations to talk about these 3,000 baby Christians. What do you think it was like in the city of Jerusalem? 3,000 people just come to know the Lord. Well, first of all, we know that there was probably a lot of celebration going on, a lot of joy, a lot of rejoicing. Not only that, but the angels are rejoicing over these new believers who've come to know the Lord. Perhaps there was some hooping and some hollering. Perhaps there was some dancing. After all, this was the day of Pentecost, right? You know what we Pentecost, well, I grew up Pentecostal, okay. <laughs> I didn't do much dancing, though. Miss Deb did the dance. <laughs> All right, but let's just, let's just think about it. These are people who are now just coming to know the Lord from all types of situations and backgrounds. You know, I, I, I can imagine there were some, if their spouses weren't there, man, I've got to tell my spouse what's happened. Can't wait to tell my spouse what has happened? There was some excitement there. Tell their children, tell their mothers, their fathers, their families. There were some who wanted to make sure that their friends knew what would happen. Some of them had to tell their mistresses. Others had to tell their partners. Others had to tell their suppliers. Yeah. This is what was going on. I, I heard... Uh, Pastor Adam Paul speaking in recovery the other week. Hey, this stuff didn't just start happening in our generation. It's been around for a long time. And these were, Paul says in Corinthians, and such were some of you. And he's listed this whole uh, plethora of things from which people have been saved. I got to believe that some of these 3,000 were coming out of some of those things as well. 
What do I do? How does this affect my career? How do I live now? How do I walk in this new life? You know, when we answer the Lord's call to follow him, eventually, uh, over a period of time, I kind of think there may be a honeymoon period the Lord gives us the first few days, weeks, months. Some of us don't get that long, but all of a sudden, stuff starts to come up. Emotional stuff, relational stuff that we've got to deal with, that we used to deal with one way, and now, how do I deal with all of these things that are coming forth. And you know, the, the closer we walk with Jesus and the closer we walk with his bride, that is one another, uh, it seems like the more things come up. Let's turn our attention to that second word. That was they, and we know who they were. But it says something about they. They were devoted. That word devoted means to be steadfast, attentive to something. To give unremitting care to a thing, to prioritize as a way of life, and to persist in doing something. And so it says of these 3,000 plus that they were devoted to some things. The third word, themselves. They devoted themselves to something. Having had a life-changing experience, heard the gospel message were baptized and confessed to the world that Jesus Christ is now the Lord of my life. It says they devoted themselves to some things. Now, they and themselves together are both plural pronouns. A lot of talk in our day about pronouns. Holy Spirit knew how to use pronouns here. <laughs> they and themselves, they devoted themselves to some things. What were the things they devoted themselves to? But before I talk about that, I want to talk about the fact that themselves and and the plurality of these two words indicate that they were not looking just as individuals what they were going to do. But they were looking at this thing from a corporate or a collective perspective, how they were going to follow Jesus. The context is community. That is, they were walking alongside and in cooperation with other Jesus followers, other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. You know, unfortunately, many today have opted for a Lone Ranger version of Christianity and community. I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to argue with you. I can't find authority of scripture that would sanction you walking by yourself or me walking by myself and following the Lord. Most of the Bible was written to groups of people, not individuals. There are some individual letters there, but most of them, it was written to groups of people. This is certainly the case with the New Testament epistles Uh, These are letters written to address and correct doctrinal disputes, interpersonal conflicts among God's people. And those things still exist today. And we don't walk this way alone. Now, the first thing they were devoted to was the apostles' teaching. They prioritized, they persisted in, and they committed to hearing and observing the teachings of Jesus as passed down from the apostles who walked with Jesus. 
You know, we live in an age of many teachers today, many voices, many choices, many directions built around one philosophy or another that offers a path to human fulfillment and flourishing. By the way, this is not new to our day, but has been around for a while. There were the ancient Greek philosophers, uh, Socrates, Plato, the Stoics, the Epicureans. There were the Enlightenment uh, era philosophers, Hume, Montesquieu, Hobbes, as well as others. They, today we have a plethora of both ancient and new age thinkers, guides, and self-help gurus who stand at the ready, pointing multitudes to empty wells. Many of these voices are simply repackaging a version of the lie that was spoken in the garden. You will be like God. In other words, you're going to be your own God, determining what is good and evil. This lie has led to a hyper-relativism where everyone can have their own truth. It's the lie from the garden. You are God and you determine your own truth. I'm reminded what the proverb says, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end of it is destruction. Verse 42 and 43. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You see, the apostles had walked with Jesus. The apostles had been given the command by Jesus, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the ages. The apostles knew exactly what to do when they started teaching. We need to teach what Jesus taught us. The apostles' teaching was not just about Jesus and his, the fact that he was a historical figure. They also, they adamantly talked that he was the resurrected Lord who was not just come to show us the way, but who himself was the way, who, was not, who did not just come to tell us the truth, but he himself was and is the truth. Not just to talk about life, but to give us life because he is the life. The word of God's important. It was important that they be grounded in truth, the truth of God's word, not the philosophers of their day. Peter speaks to the early church and he's, he encourages them. He says, as newborn babes, just like newborn babies, we've got to continuously desire and long and cherish the sincere milk of God's word that we might grow thereby. You know, unfortunately, many remain in an infantile state because they don't get into God's word and allow God's word to get into them. I'm not just talking about you having a devotional time reading your Bible. That's very important. I encourage everyone to have a personal devotional time where you get there with the Lord. 
But today I want to talk about what he's called us to do together. And it's in gatherings like this. It's in gatherings like we have on Wednesday nights. It's in gatherings like we do at the Institute, other places where uh, home groups where we sit down and we break bread, the word of God together. You know, we can get alone and read God's word. And that's good. I'm not discouraging that. I'm encouraging that. But many times, uh, so many have walked away with their own interpretation of God's word. And that long range of spirit takes over and they've got a revelation and a truth that nobody else has. And, oh, you've met some of them. We've got to have uh, that devotion to the apostles' teaching. The apostles taught Jesus Christ. You know, I think about when Jesus uh, walked with uh, the two on the road to Emmaus and they sat at table breaking the bread and uh, they remarked, did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke with us along the way? Hey, the word of God uh, in a group, in a corporate setting, man, it lifts our spirits You know, I I love what Jeremiah said in 15 and 16. He says, Lord, your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Man, don't you love it when you sit down with God's word and you sit down with God's people and God, the Lord begins to open up and it's not just words on a page. I mean, I've read the words on a page and sometimes, yeah, man, what did I just read? I see some of you had that experience. But I've sat down with brothers and sisters, and even in my quiet time as well, and the word of the Lord Lord comes alive. The writer of Hebrews says, this book, this word is living. It's alive. It'll do stuff in your heart and in your life. Second thing. They devoted themselves to fellowship. I'm not going to get through all of these devotions that they did too because I studied a lot and I got a lot and I'll go way over the time if I talk a lot, okay? They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They prioritized, committed, and persisted in living in union and communion with fellow believers. You know, there are currently 8 billion people inhabiting the earth. There are people here, people there, people everywhere. Each week, we pack sporting stadiums. Um, What is it? uh, Jerry's World? (laughs) Concert halls. Entertainment venues. I won't ask how many of you saw Taylor Swift last night. (laughs) Online events and even sanctuaries by the thousand. Yet someone has described this as the loneliest generation. The loneliest generation. A few years ago, a group by the name of Echo Smith wrote a song. Hear the lyrics of that song. It's called Lonely Generation. We're a lonely generation, a picture pixelated version of ourselves, empty conversations. I've disconnected. Now I am by myself. Here we are left behind looking through a screen. Makes you feel all right. 
another day, another dime, looking in the wrong place for something right. Oh, looking in the wrong place for something right. Looking in the wrong place for something right. Man, that's the voice of someone who is walking all alone. Kind of reminds me of that song, Sometimes You Want to Go. All right, some of you know it. Everybody knows your name. Yeah, and that's, that's what many in our generation are looking for. According to a new research poll, people between the ages of 16 and 24 are part of a group typically referred to as Generation Z. They have been described as the loneliest generation. This is the most connected generation technologically, yet the most disconnected generation emotionally and relationally. In a gathering like this, there are many who are sitting here today feeling lonely, alone, unseen, unheard, unknown, and unloved. This is not just a characteristic of Gen Zers, but it's across all generations. But Luke tells us that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. This is a reference to the body of believers who were now living in what the Greeks call koinonia, that is communion and partnership with other believers, fellow believers. This was a visible manifestation here in Jerusalem where over 3,000 fulfilled what Jesus said when he said, I will build my church. And he is beginning to build, here we see his church. Uh, the fellowship is the most diverse entity on the face of the earth. It is a multinational, multi-ethnic, socioeconomic, diverse population covering every social strata, educated and uneducated, the socially sophisticated as well as the socially unrefined, all called to love one another the way Jesus loved his eclectic band of men. Don't have time to go into all of the personality types, but we can just talk about Peter for a minute. How many of y'all like hanging out with Peters? How many of y'all liked hanging out with Thomases? Hey, bro, can't you think of anything positive? Do you have to question? Come on now. I'm not the only one that has. I know I'm not. Yeah, but that's the body of Christ. That is the fellowship. The body in in scripture is referred to and used. There are a couple of metaphors used to talk about the, the fellowship. One is a family and the other is a body, a physical body. Like the family, we don't get to pick our family members. Who would you have loved though? Uh, nor do we get to determine their unique characteristics. Nor do we get to approve or design their temperaments. Yet the family is a place of provision, protection, preparation, love, acceptance, forgiveness. It's not perfect. Neither is the church perfect. Oh, we're on our way to perfection. He is changing us, maturing us to be more like Jesus. Not only is it like a family, but the 
fellowship is like a body. And like our bodies, we didn't get to determine acceptable body parts. Well, some have figured out that they can pay and have them look a little different. Uh, But that's okay, too. I mean, we have that opportunity. Uh, We didn't get to determine our own or others' position in the body. Our unique contributions to the growth and the well-being of the body. We don't get to determine those things, nor do we determine the necessity or the value of body parts. You see, the body, when every part is whole in its proper place and functioning as designed by our creator, is a thing of beauty and wonder. I love the way uh, Eugene Peterson says it in the Message Bible. We see that God has carefully placed placed each part in the body right where he wanted it to be. God's put you where he wanted you to be in the body. He's put your neighbor where he wanted them to be. That person who was close to you. He's, the Lord did this. And we've just got to accept that he knows exactly what he is doing. You see, we become more like Jesus through our interaction in the body. I like the way Pastor Matt says it. We become like Jesus through deep work and over time in community. In the fellowship, we don't just live with one another. We don't just do life together. But we are called to live for one another. You know, there are 59, and you know this, 59 one another's throughout Scripture. It tells us to love one another, to welcome one another, to receive one another, to encourage one another, to, to outdo one another, to comfort one another, to rebuke one another. Oh, there's, there's so many things that we're called to do. But yet many want to live in isolation. So those are two things. I'm going to just rush through the last two. Devoted to breaking bread. That's about table fellowship. They prioritized and persisted in committing to living life together selflessly and generously. Don't have time to go into all of those things. But no one was saying this is mine. Or that is mine. But they were selling if anyone had need and they took. That was a selfless life. It was demonstrated here by table fellowship. There's something about genuine table fellowship that seems to promote an authenticity and a superficiality. Oh, it's easy for us to gather at a a restaurant and that's nice and have a nice dinner. But when we start sitting across from one another in our homes and our houses and start at that level of fellowship, it's something about it that wipes away or can wipe away superficiality. Last thing is they devoted themselves to prayer. They prioritized, persisted in, and committed to a lifestyle of corporate worship and dependence upon the Lord. It says the prayer. I think that's somewhat of a reference to the time of prayer uh, that they had on a daily basis. We read in uh, chapter 3 that Peter and John were on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer. They were still going to the temple for the set prayer times in the temple. But I also believe it had to do with the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. 
when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he taught them, Father, uh, our Father, which art in heaven. Notice the plurality of the words that he used. Give us this day, our daily bread. He's talking about community. He's talking about living together. All right, my time's almost up. And my throat's very dry. So let's look at the portion of the scripture in verse 47, the last, last verse. What happened when they did these things? It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. An environment, a culture where believers are all in. We see the Lord doing what he alone can do. Add to the church. Says they, the, the previous verse says they gained favor with all the people. There were people watching how these people were living together. And they were enticed by their corporate testimony, by their community. Say, I want some of that. I want some of that. They were loving each other in a way that they had not seen the world love one another. Uh, One of the ancient writers uh, wrote of the early Christians, and he says, behold, look at how they love one another. This eclectic group of people who had been called from different stratas of society, socioeconomic uh, situations, all ethnicities, says, look at how they love one another. And that became a draw to the world. You see, when the world sees how the Lord fixed your drug addiction, when the world sees, by because you've been walking in community, you've been in recovery, you've got brothers and sisters who have been encouraging you. When they see that, man, there's got to be a way for me. And the Lord used his church walking in community to do these things. So what are you devoted to? What are your priorities? Climbing the ladder? Stacking that paper? Becoming an influencer? Pursuing that perfect vibe that excludes all negativity? What are you devoted to? I believe God's calling his people to a a devotion where everything else takes second place. Jesus told his disciples, hey, you've got to hate father, mother, brother, sister, and follow me. No, he wasn't saying you've got to literally hate them, but they've got to take second fiddle. And you know, we have... I had a whole list of things, but I won't go into them. What keeps us from community, biblical community? Sometimes it's our busyness. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's pride, independence. These are just some of the things. What, what, what would be keeping you back from that level of community that God has called his people to? Yeah, it's the call of the Lord. Would you bow with me as we pray? Lord, we realize that you have called your people and you have called us to yourself. 
We are your sons. We are your daughters. And you called us not just as individuals, but you have called us to be a part of your people, your family, the fellowship. And Lord, we see from your word how as your people walked together and devoted themselves to your word, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, devoted themselves to uh, breaking of bread and to prayer, devotion to you and worship and in uh, dedication. So Lord, may we be marked as such a people who will do the same thing. Will you move in our hearts and our lives that it is evident even as it was for your disciples in in the book of Acts when they were called before the council and as they spoke, Lord, it was evident to the courts that they had been with Jesus. May the devotion of our lives reflect our relationship with you, our relationship with one another. And Father, will you do what you did in the book of Acts here? Will you draw men to you? Will you draw those whose lives are in shambles, broken, desperate, confused? Will you use us as your people for your glory and for your honor, we pray and ask these things.